0: back to the GamerNode Show. This is episode 80, and I'm your host, Eddie Enzotto. Welcome back, GamerNodians, for this very special episode, On the Road from Rails to Star Trails. Here we go. Alright, so here I am, on the road. I'm driving in my car from Brooklyn, New York, down to South Carolina, going to visit my family, my parents and sister, and I figured what better way to spend this time, or at least part of this time, than to record a podcast. So here I am, I've got one big game to talk about and and offer up a review for, and one other game that I just played recently, I just wanted to give a couple thoughts, not really a review, but it's been a popular game, it's been sort of high profile and uh, I finally got a chance to play it as I've been looking forward to, so just want to give a few, a few thoughts, and uh, you know, just keeping it cash today, riding in the car, talking into my microphone, praying that the sound quality is actually decent, so we'll find out when this is done, and uh, you already know because you've been listening for a little while now, anyway, without further ado, here we go! So uh, before we get into the game that I really wanted to take a deep dive into and review today, I'll just give you a, a quick, quick uh, couple thoughts on Whistle Stop from designer Scott Caputo and Bézier Games with additional development, I believe, by Ted Allspack of, of Bézier Games and of Suburbia and Castles of Mad King Ludwig and Palace of Mad King Ludwig uh, fame. So, that this is Whistle Stop, it's a, uh, it's a train game of sorts, it's a pick up and deliver with tiling, so it, it's really very simple in concept. Players will be traveling with a number of little wooden trains that each start in a starting space on the rightmost column of the board, um, basically to start the game, players will draft their starting positions and you'll have this vertical line of everyone's variously Easter-colored trains, all pastel colors, which we found a little bit hard to wrap our heads around in the beginning for whatever reason. Um, And then, to the left of that, you have a first column of I believe seven or eight hexagonal tiles, each of which has a different configuration of rails and, and stops along the way, little nodes on this network of rails, and each one will have an exit from the top, bottom, and uh, the other four diagonal sides, so every hex lines up with every hex, no matter how you put them down you know, you could rotate them around in the future, because part of this game is building out a path, or numerous paths, from east to west on this map. And I guess thematically, this is much like uh, the the exploration and uh, connection of the continental United States by rail from east coast to west coast. And uh, at the end, all the way to the left of the board, is a number of scoring tiles from top to bottom. Eight of these scoring tiles that each require you to have either a specific set of goods, like three rare, as the game calls them, goods, um, or a, um, a number of stocks in the various different rail companies, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, And just a variety of ways to score points if you have completed a certain goal and you reach that particular hex. Um, So on a player's turn, what they'll do is first first at the beginning of a turn, you will take an income of coal, two coal tokens each round each player gets, and one coal allows players to move one space along any rail from east to west or up and down within the column that uh, they, their train currently is in. And you do have multiple trains, so you can use your coal for whichever one of your trains you see fit at any given time. So you may have one halfway across the board and one still remaining on the starting space, and you can choose to move either of those as well as the other ones that you might have in play. Um, sometimes you'll also get whistles, and whistles allow you to move two spaces and land on the further space, and that lets you pass by one of your opponents if they happen to be on a node in front of you. With coal, you would be blocked, and that is a, a big part of the game, is positioning yourself in front of your opponents to block them from get moving forward, um and also positioning yourself in front of your own trains because unlike opponent trains, if you use coal and your own train is in front of you, you basically get a bonus space forward. You skip the space that your train is on and you move forward to the next space because each of these small circular nodes along the tracks can only hold one train of any color. Now there are larger town spaces or special tiles that allow any number of trains from any color to uh, be positioned there but we'll, we'll mention that momentarily. So on a turn you're going to spend a coal up to four times because you'll have four total actions allotted per turn and a lot of times because you're only receiving two coal as income in the first round and well in in every round but in the first few rounds you will likely not have much more to do than use your two coal, because you might wanna save that whistle. Because even though you do start with one whistle along with your two coal, uh, whistles not only let you move twice, and not only let you leapfrog over an opponent who might be blocking you, but they are also the only thing that allows you to end your move in a space that is in a column to the right of where you began your turn with that train. So there's this this sense of always pushing westward with your trains as they are running on coal. So uh, getting those whistles gives you the flexibility and the freedom to uh, manipulate your resource acquisition and um, in-game expenditure of uh, resources for points and your access to special tiles. Now somewhere close to the middle of the board, there is a column that is full of, uh, the majority of it is full of special tiles, and these are towns, each of which is associated with a particular, uh, rail company, and there will be a stack of stocks for each of these rail companies, I think there are six or five, um, and when you land in a town, you'll have to pay a particular pair of... Of goods and uh, these goods are represented by different colored cubes and when you land there and you pay those goods you will earn a set number of points a small number of points uh, smaller if you're trading in common goods of which there are three types and more points if you're trading in rare goods of which there are three types and in addition you will earn the top stock share Off of this stack uh, of the particular matching rail company and this is important because at the end of the game whoever has the majority in each of these rail companies will earn a whopping 15 points and second third and fourth place will earn a whopping zero points Uh, if there's any tie whoever has taken the stock from that particular rail company first will break that tie and each of the, the shares are numbered one through whatever. So those are towns, and then there are also some other special locations that come up in the the middle of the board to begin the game, like the coal yard where you can pick up two extra coal just for landing there, or the uh, whistle stop, I believe it's called, like the name of the game, where you get a whistle for landing there, or there's a trading post where you can give a good Of either type for rewards such as coal or whistles or other goods, and then the uh, the Market or the general store where you just pick up one cube of any color, and uh, I think that's all of them Oh, there's another one the uh, the gold mine because the game also has these gold chits That are placed face down and randomized, so whenever you land on the gold mine you'll pull one of these So blindly, you don't know what's on it, and uh, on the underside will be a number of points, I think, ranging from 2 to 5 or something like that. And you can accrue those, and those will be counted at the end of the game. So the way that you get across the board, which I've already told you is by taking those actions uh, to, to move your train from east to west, or if you have the whistle, back east... You'll inevitably come across empty space because the board is essentially a frame, and there are only there's only a column of tiles on the east, on the west, and one in the middle. So there's there are like three or four columns of empty space to start, and then another four of empty space toward the end. And um, you'll have a hand. Each player will always have in their possession three hexes. Three tiles. That if they move forward off of the edge of an existing hex on the board, and there's there's only open rail, they choose a hex from their hand and place it down. And you can place hexes this way on the same expenditure of coal until the rail that you've placed uh, would have that train run into a node or a, a stop on the board and at that point that coal has been spent so you could potentially put down three whole tiles and move three columns westward on one piece of coal if you happen to have tiles that have no nodes on them but uh, this is this is a big part of the game, you're, you're going to want to land on these nodes because each one depicts A different color good there's within the the circle that represents the space on the on the rail there will be a colored cube printed and when you land there you pick up one of those cubes and hold it in your stock and you can carry up to ten different cubes at a time and um, you will be spending them in pairs to pick up points and stocks at the towns and you will be spending them in triples for those end spaces all the way in the west. And um, you'll also be spending them for these special powers. Each game will have a number of special upgrades available to players, each of which cost two cubes, sometimes two of a specific color, usually usually common goods, or sometimes two of any color and each one has that cost and they're each worth a point value if you possess them at the end of the game and each one will give you a special ability and you can have up to three of these at a time and you'll be able to purchase up to two of these per turn and they might do things like allow you to take the action of the space you're, you're already standing on by spending a call or allow you to look at the deck of tiles before you draw back up because at the end of your turn if you've laid tiles you'll always draw back up to three from a face down stack or from a tableau a short little stock of three face up that you obviously can see before you choose them other ones will let you swap stocks, other ones will let you score differently based on stocks you own. So there are a number of these, and uh, the point is they each give you a sort of game-breaking ability that helps you. However, they're so interesting, and they are so valuable, and they are so in short supply, because there will be the number of the players at the table, plus two, so with three players, there's a total of nine available slots, and there's only five available upgrades, so, hmm, maybe you'll fight over them, and you will. So, players can buy these upgrades from one another on their turn. Uh, They'll still have to spend the original cost of two goods, but also trade one rare good from their supply to the player from whom they're stealing the ability, which is really interesting because you're getting something great, but you have to not only spend something good, but also give it to your opponent. So there's an interesting interplay there of of buying these upgrades back and forth and making use of their abilities throughout the game to uh, reap as much reward before someone snatches it from you. But also you're, you're generally not too upset if someone takes one of these from you because you're getting something good in return. So it's always good to have uh, as many of these upgrades as you can and make sure you use them as much as you can. So that's basically how the game works. It's essentially a pick up and deliver, resource management, tiling, network building game. And it was really interesting, It I, I didn't really like click, it didn't click with me to start And that was a little frustrating, like, I wasn't exactly sure how to proceed in the beginning of the game, like, what to strategize. I couldn't just look at the board and say to myself, oh, okay, so I have to do this and I will win. Um, It was the type of game where I had to, like, feel it out a little bit and see how it operated before I could try to build something and, and lay these tiles in such a way that it benefited me more than my opponents. Um, you, you kind of have to think about being out in front versus hanging back with your trains, getting the benefits of various locations exclusively versus putting them out on the board and taking them sooner. And then of course, there's an important component of, of just getting the tiles that you need. There's a lot of luck involved here. In drawing tiles that will benefit you to be able to place out on the board in front of your trains as you move because if you're not getting the things that you need in hand it's going to be a little bit more difficult and require a little bit more uh, maneuvering to pick up the goods you need and spend those goods and get those stocks and earn the points so it it's a fine game, and I can see a lot of appeal in it for people who really enjoy this this network building and rap, essentially route building and pick up and deliver. But for me, it didn't. It wasn't like a uh, a mind blower. It wasn't something that I finished and said, "Oh my God, I need to play that again." I know it's gotten a lot of buzz and it's been very popular, but it just. Uh, It's not top tier for me, but definitely good. I would recommend definitely giving it a try, sitting down, giving it a play, seeing if it works for you. It's uh, a lot of, you know, grabbing stuff, paying stuff, getting points. So if that sounds like something you're into, give it a try. Whistle Stop from Bézier Games, designer Scott Caputo. Gaia Project is a game for one to four players. It plays in... uh, I want to say about an hour per player, 45 minutes per player once you get it down. And it is all about spreading your empire, your influence, across the many planets that dot the modular board, um, scoring points in a variety of ways throughout the game, within rounds, and at the end of the game based on particular final scoring parameters that come out. um, This game takes what existed in Terra Mystica and streamlines it in some areas and adds to it in other areas and as someone who had not been deep into Terra Mystica before um, but had a couple of plays under his belt, getting into Gaia Project I, even when I first read the rulebook, I knew that this was going to be a big improvement on the existing formula that, of course, everyone always said was one of the best games of all time. So I think Gaia Project is the superior game, and uh, for a number of reasons. So I'm, I I don't want to assume that everyone listening knows exactly how to play Terra Mystica. so, I'm just going to talk about Gaia Project and maybe I'll reference back to Terra Mystica when it's different. So, okay, so in Gaia Project, each player takes control of a faction and um, each faction has their own home type of planet. There are seven of these and they all relate to one another in terms of how closely they approximate the climate on that planet, or, or in, in gameplay mechanism, um, it's basically, each planet is a number of steps away from each other planet, and they're arranged on, um, on a wheel, essentially, that, if you want to visualize it, picture seven planets around a circle, and if your faction can exist, or their home planet is, uh, say the, the... White ice planet, then you are exactly one step away from the blue Earth-like planet and one step away in the other direction from the black titanium-based planet. Now you might be two steps away, say just beyond the Earth planet, and I don't know if this is correct, those first two are correct, but this might be wrong, Um, so say two steps away from the, the white ice planet, just beyond the blue Earth planet, might be a, a red, sort of Mars-like planet. So, in order to terraform these planets to your own home homeworld, um, you'll have to spend the equivalent value of either one step, or two steps, or three steps. And that's it, because there are seven planets, you can go three in one direction or three in the other. And the reason that you would want to be doing this is because you can only put your buildings from your player board out onto planets of your own type. Um, and in this case, you won't actually be changing the planets visually or anything on the board, you'll just uh, pay the cost as if you were terraforming them to your home type. And part of the game actually the majority of the game you could argue is getting these four different types of structures off of your board and onto off of your your personal player board and onto the main board onto these planets now there are four types of buildings and each of them has it serves a different purpose and and each of them also costs a different amount of ore and money in order to place it out on the board so your basic buildings are your mines and they are the cheapest and what happens in this game is you'll pay a coin and a couple of ore or a couple ore and a coin whatever it is and I think some of these might vary too between factions but um, when you have these out on the board, then each subsequent round that those exist out in the, in the space map, you'll see that on your personal player board, you have revealed an income amount underneath where that mine used to be sitting. So, let um, I me mean, not get in an accident here. So by placing these mines out, you are and very thematically, you are increasing the amount of ore that you take each subsequent round, Um, then you can upgrade from the mine to the trading post. And you have four of these, and when this happens, you're going to place the mine back on your board, so you're no longer producing that ore, but um, as you've paid an upgrade cost of money and more ore, You will now have a trading post, and the trading post earns you money each round. So there's this give and take, do I want to keep my mines out there generating ore, or do I want to upgrade them to get money instead? And there's this interesting interplay between these, and players will have to make this decision each and every time they think about upgrading, or not, and what what sort of resources they might need in the future. Um, and you can upgrade further still. From the trading post, you can upgrade one more step to the uh, what used to be called the stronghold, and now I think it's called the... um Hey, everyone. Future Eddie here. And I just wanted to come back and correct some of these structure names because I get them all wrong for all the rest of this podcast. So the stronghold-like largest of all the structures is called the Planetary Institute, and then there's another half of the board that includes the Research Labs, which are the direct update from the Trading Stations, and Academies, which I called the larger research places. So you have Mines, Trading Stations, Research Labs, Planetary Institute, and Academies. It might be called your Galactic Academy or something. Well, it's, a, it's your largest structure and uh, some would argue the most important because for almost all the factions, I think all the factions, when you get this building out onto a planet, you reveal a new special power, this sort of game-breaking ability that all factions have. And each faction, well, most of the factions begin the game with a particular power, as well as starting benefits that each faction board shows. So everyone starts off a little asymmetrically and then has powers that make the whole game very asymmetric in terms of the way players will play to a degree. Because the general mechanisms are still very much the same, but the powers influence how you will go about using this this large variety of interwoven mechanics to your advantage and That fact is absolutely beautiful and there's so much nuance between these different races uh, And of which there are 14 because there are seven planets and each planet each board is double-sided And on each side is a different race that occupies that type of planet So, to Earth-type races, to Ice-type races, to Titanium-type races, you you get the picture. Um, So this uh, large structure, this largest structure, is something that reveals a second power that could be very, very important to a player's overall strategy with their faction. Now, instead of upgrading from a trading post to that, you can upgrade sort of laterally to a different type of structure that then reveals income of knowledge, and knowledge is very important. You'll be losing your money income, but gaining knowledge, quote, income, and these might be called research stations or something like that, and knowledge is incredibly important because uh, there's an extensive tech board, I'm not sure of the glossary terms in this game, but... There are six tracks on this board that, that run vertically, and each player has a, a token on there, and as you pay knowledge, four knowledge per step on all of these six tracks, on each of these six tracks, one at a time, um, each time you go up, you'll be advancing your abilities to do a particular thing or, or gain a particular benefit so the six tracks will be uh, how much it costs you to terraform from one planet type to another it starts out where you have to pay three ore to move one step around that circle and then it, it gets better to two and then to one and as you go up not only will you be gaining these persistent benefits but when you hit certain points you'll either be adding power which is something i'll talk about momentarily Or a variety of other bonuses just as you tick your way up these tracks Um, and when you get to the top three levels of the track you'll earn endgame points as well so you have this terraforming track then you have a track that dictates the range at which you can settle a new planet Um, so in this game unlike Terra Mystica where all of the spaces were right on top of each other in Gaia project, you have numerous planets and some of them are one space away, but the majority of them are many spaces away with just dead air in between them. So this second track and this ability to settle on planets and build your structures two, three, however many spaces away becomes very, very important because you can only build structures that are nearby structures you've already built. Um, so, this increases your range to do that. Then, you have a track that dictates how easy it is for you to Gaia form the special um, eighth type of planet, the trans dimensional planet. You can use this Gaia forming track to earn up to three Gaia formers that when you take a, a Gaia-forming action, that you begin a Gaia project on a trans-dimensional planet and you make it habitable for your race, um, or, or really for any race, because the Gaia planets, which exist in the Gaia planet form as well as in this transdimensional form, they can be settled by any of the races. So this allows you to uh, earn these Gaia-formers, And also it allows you to spend less of that power I mentioned before to begin these Gaia projects and that becomes a very important part of the game for a number of races and for a number of uh, goals that you have for either the end game or or inter game. Another track that you have on this tech board is uh, your basically uh, it's an income based track it's I think it's a research track where essentially as you go up this one you are gaining different benefits at the beginning of each round they are they're just improvements to your income and as you go up that track you get more of that another one earns you QICs these are special cubes that you get throughout the game that are in short supply, shorter supply than most other resources, and they allow you to perform powerful actions when you've collected two, three, or four of them, as well as allowing you to colonize existing Gaia planets. You spend one to be able to uh, place one of your structures out on that planet. And there's a track that that earns you more of those and then finally the last track and i don't know about the order of these they're probably out of order um and also this one this one's probably called the research track if i were naming it probably would be research track this one actually earns you um knowledge as an income per round so you go up this one and you are restoring the knowledge that you've spent to go up on the track. The other one, I I would imagine, might be called trade or something, economy, because you're gaining more like money and stuff. But so you have all these tracks, and as you reach the tops of these, you are able to pull advanced technology tiles, if you've made it to the second to last space, and you've created a federation, which is a, a combination of a number of structures all connected by satellites, which is an action you could take. Um, and these advanced tech tiles go with your normal tech tiles, which I haven't spoken about, but there are six normal technology tiles, and each one is at the bottom of one of the six tracks. And certain actions, like building those research stations or building uh, the upgrade from those, which I haven't talked about yet, Um, they allow you to at the moment that you build them take one of these basic tech tiles and uh, use the benefit from that and these will generally be some ongoing benefits maybe an immediate benefit Um, and there are also three other basic technology tiles that you can select from and when you take from one of those you'll be able to go up on any of the six tracks, one space, whereas the six that are below each of those six tracks, uh, they allow you to go up on the track that that particular tile is below. And you can only take each one of these once, unless you cover it up, then you could take another one of that same type, and you would cover it up by getting an advanced technology tile, which is usually better. So. Already here you have a a great depth and an interesting web of choices to make about advancing your point scoring engine and your, your faction's strategic approach to the game by manipulating these six different tracks to improve your own style of play and gain benefits based on your choices. And this this whole board is an amazing addition. Uh, previously in Terra Mystica, you had cult tracks, but where you placed priests, which you would have gotten instead of knowledge, um, and you just essentially place one of those on one of these cult tracks, and you go up a number of spaces based on where you've placed the priest or, or how early in the game you've placed the priest and whoever was highest on those tracks got a majority of points and then second place got a a little bit less so it was very simple interaction there between players and uh, you know this is one reason why in a two-player game aside from the game not having a modular board which Gaia Project now does and um, having a great number of spaces But this this cult track also made a two-player game sort of uh, less interesting. But Gaia Project, um, you are using these tracks to earn benefits that help you throughout the game, and the way that they score is not based on your opponents, it's strictly based on how high you've gone on these tracks. So you could just rock it up to the top of one and score 12 points on it and the others be at zero while your opponent is higher than you on all the others, but only halfway up the tracks and therefore does not score any points Um, Whereas in the other game a player could go up one space on all the tracks except one and earn dozens of points because they were quote in the lead even though it may have been a very unimpressive showing. So anyway, those are the tech tracks and those are activated by upgrading from your trading post to those little research stations and from those research stations to the larger structures on, on that side of your upgrade path of your structures. So how's the game played? So the game's played over six rounds and at the beginning of the game The players will place out, at random, six scoring tiles that are, in effect, one for each of those six rounds. So, first round, you might be looking at a tile that scores you points for every time you build a mine, or every time you build a trading post, etc., or every time you take some other action, Um, or, or it might score you points for every... If you've built your stronghold or, or uh galactic institute, you'll score points maybe at the end of the round for, for that achievement. So players each round will have something sort of guiding them, or even some way to plan out the entire game, thinking, okay, if this particular type of structure earns me points on round three, Maybe I'll hold off on building those until round three and I'll use these these two earlier rounds to focus on some other point generating or engine building action or or strategy that helps me advance there and then I'll get more points on that third round by doing the action specified there and then the fourth round and fifth round I can then piggyback and do an action that correlates to the the bonuses for those rounds. Um, So it's a very interesting way of playing the game, and this is something that carries over from Terra Mystica. But in Gaia Project, there are also two, again drawn at random, end game scoring conditions. So one might be, settle the most Gaia planets, one might be, have your structures on the greatest number. Of tiles because this is a modular board so it comes in uh, tiles that have a number of spaces each on one of these hexagonal tiles made up of a a bunch of hexes so you might have to have your empire spread across the galaxy widely Um, another one might be have the the most structures in federations, which is uh, an action you could do. It's connecting all of your structures, or a number of your structures. Um, so players will take turns doing a variety of actions, one by one by one by one, until someone passes, then they will be out of the round, and the other players will continue until they pass, and then once everyone has passed, you move on to the next round. And the actions you can take are to build one of your buildings out on the board and that could be starting from nothing with the mine which would include terraforming a given planet to suit your faction or if you are on a planet that already matches your faction no no terraforming necessary and then from there everything is an upgrade So to build that trading post, you would have to have a mine. To build that galactic institute, I'm calling it, you'll have to have a trading post. To build one of those research stations, you have to have a trading post. To build one of those larger research stations, I don't know what they're called either, Uh, you have to have the, the smaller research station. And, you know, you exchange them out. So that's an action. Another action might be to start that Gaia project that I mentioned. You know, you spend power. So I guess this is a good time to talk about power and charging power in Gaia Project. And this is a mechanism that has been carried over from Terra Mystica, where it was more of a magic power, and here it's more of a, you know, since this is a sci-fi theme, I like to think of it more as an energy and electricity, something like that, that type of power. So there are three spaces on your player board and you have small wooden tokens there and they cycle through these three spaces and there are there's iconography in the game and all the iconography in this game is excellent like it's hard to not know what anything means so you'll really never be hunting through the rule book it's going to be very rare to to come across symbols that are confusing. Uh, once you have it, you sort of have it for life. So this is another way that this game has really long and strong legs. Is not only because it has all the variety in the factions and the ways to play and the modularity of the board and the variability of the technologies and the variability of the round goals and the variability of the end game goals, but it's also just very intuitive in terms of what you're looking at and what the game is uh, telling you, the information in the, the user interface. So on your board you have these three spaces and throughout the game you might run into a, an instruction, an icon for some action to charge power. And this means you're going to move these little disks from section 1 to section 2. Once section one is completely empty, you can now move from section two into section three. And at any time, if you have these discs in section three, you can spend them. And you can spend them in certain numbers to take particular power actions. So these are usually fairly strong actions that players can only take once per round and once one player has taken a particular power action it is covered up and it becomes unavailable for other players and you spend a certain number of power and when you spend them they go back into the first section of this charging cycle to be charged again. Um, So it's really interesting. You have to figure out how to get your power charged, so that you can then spend it on these powerful actions that give you benefits like a bunch of money, or free steps in terraforming, or a number of different things. So it's a it's a very interesting system there, and uh, this game actually adds a fourth section called the the Gaia section, which is where power will be spent, too, when you start a Gaia project. So you'll still be spending power, except to start the Gaia project it won't be coming from just the third section of the charging cycle, but any section. And it goes into the Gaia Bowl, and uh, at the beginning of the next round it comes out and back into the first section of the charging cycle. So that's another action is starting a Gaia project. So we have building structures, we have upgrading structures, we have performing power actions, we have performing those QIC actions I mentioned earlier. We have performing faction actions which can be revealed by building that galactic institute and that might reveal a particular action space that is used once per round. Um, we have start those Gaia projects and we have form a federation so federations which I've mentioned a couple times now are connected structures on different planets that are nearby each other and you have to have a certain power level of structures in order to connect them and form a federation so each of these structures that you can build has a power of 3, 2, or 1. Mines being 1, trading stations and research stations being 2, and uh, that galactic institute and the, uh, the larger research station being 3. If you have these structures on adjacent planets, you add these numbers together, and if you have a power of 7, you can then form a federation, you gain a benefit. From that, a one time token that gives you a benefit in points and some other resource or whatever, and then those become a key to take one advanced technology or advance to the very top of one of those technology tracks I mentioned earlier, which gives you another big benefit. So that's federations, and uh, if I'm not missing anything. The, the last thing you can do is do a variety of conversions. You can convert power from that third section of your power charging cycle into various resources, and you can convert resources into uh, different resources, you know, or into money, knowledge into ore, knowledge into money, ore into knowledge. Uh, you can convert power to QICs, you can do a all these conversions but usually uh, you're you're kinda losing something in the process see you want to use these conversions wisely and when you need them but don't rely on it because uh, you're always losing out on something there usually it's it's better to take for example a power action to convert to any resource rather than using the conversion rates to do it because the power action gives you uh, more uh, more bang for your buck. So those are the actions you take. Play goes round and round until each player passes and then you move to the next round. And at the beginning of each round, well really at the end of each round, there are a number of tiles. There's uh, a number of tiles equal to the number of players plus three, so there are always three remaining for the next round. And players will choose one of these tiles and each one gives you two benefits. These could be more money or ore or knowledge or power on the income phase of the next round, or it could be the ability to charge a certain number of power tokens, or there could be an action on there that you have available to you for the entire round during which you're you're holding that bonus tile or um they might provide you with points when you reach the end of the round and you pass and you give that tile back to the supply to take a different one for the next round uh you might gain points for having completed something during that round like like for having placed out your largest structures um or for having placed out some mines, or having placed out trading stations. So some of these act like a secondary round bonus that you only have for yourself for that round. And there are a number of these such that they won't all be in play every game, so you'll be seeing different combinations of these tiles for every game and each player will be essentially drafting them by passing earlier in the round to get their pick. But this, this leaves other interesting choices to be made because you might want a bonus tile that one of your opponents currently has in his hand. So you might deliberately wait until he has passed so that he has had to give back his bonus tile and take a different one so that now the one that he had has become available so you can you can go ahead and take that one whereas if you pass before him you would have had to take what was left over from the previous round and not taken so that's yet another interesting wrinkle in Gaia project so I I feel like I've been very specific about mechanisms but the feeling of the game is is what's really exciting, because Gaia Project and Terra Mystica before it rewards players for uh, uh, rubbing elbows with one another, so to speak, because specifically when you upgrade to a trading station, you get a hefty discount for making one of these upgrades within range of your opponent's, range being... Two spaces in this game or one space in its uh, predecessor so instead of having to pay six gold to upgrade to a trading station if you're next to an opponent you uh, only pay three plus whatever ore it takes I think it's two or for the most part some of the factions again have different costs and as well as different benefits, which is great, more asymmetry there, and more ways to utilize your faction's specific set of skills. Um, And, okay, so, so upgrading is cheaper if you're near your opponents, right? But guess what? You're also incentivized to build near your opponents because every time an opponent builds or upgrades near you, if you have a structure within range of two, you get to earn power or charge power from, you know, section one to two to three, equal to the power level of the structure that you are in proximity of their upgrade or their new building with. So if you have your biggest building within range, you can charge three power. But here's the thing. The first power to charge is free. The rest of them you have to pay in victory points. So while you're earning victory points throughout the game, you're also spending victory points. For the most part, people will be spending the maximum amount of victory points to charge the maximum amount of power throughout the game as, as their opponents are building. Because charging this power and having that power in your third section of the charging cycle ready to be used is very important. Because, you know, this is a game where each round you run, you'll you run out of, maybe not every round, but a lot of rounds you will find yourself running out of possibilities. You'll exhaust all your resources. You'll do all the actions you can possibly do. And you'll get yourself primed for the next round to do more stuff because you'll set yourself up to receive more income in that next round and you'll create this sort of snowball of uh, potential energy to perform actions and earn points and spread your empire across the galaxy and across all these planets and uh, here's the other interesting thing so I mentioned being on neighboring planets to your opponents and uh, you definitely want to do that but what you can never do in gaia project is fight one another you can never destroy any of your opponents structures you can never remove them from their planets once you've claimed a planet you have that planet for the rest of the game, and uh, your opponents will have to go around you, over you, past you, uh, or, of course, next to you, but they can never take a planet that you've already taken, unless, you know, you're the, the space leeches who are able to place mines on planets already colonized by their opponents, but again, that's another asymmetric power that makes for really interesting play and, and just a really annoying... Uh, leeching off of <laughs> off of other players um, so the game is one of sort of area control as well or at least or at least um, more like network building and uh, land grabbing and it's a little bit of a race in that regard and the combination of trying to earn victory points based on these, parameters that are set out at random at the beginning of the game, and of course building your engine by getting your structures out, and claiming your space in the galaxy by colonizing planets, are all tied together magically. Like, just so well. The game is phenomenal. So that that's... Okay, so I, I've basically explained the game, and... I, I've somewhat explained the feeling of there being a, a tension of wanting to be near your opponents but wanting to claim benefits from being near them but also not really wanting to give them benefits from being near you. So, you're, I found myself constantly trying to upgrade structures that could benefit the fewest number of my opponents or, or do things near my opponents when it benefited me and away from my opponents when when I could get away with it uh, you know without missing out on some benefit so that I wouldn't be helping them and you set up little goals for yourself as well and you make little plans for like okay what am I going to do this round how am I going to maximize my point scoring my engine building my Empire expansion in this round, and then how is that going to set me up for the next round to maximize my potential there? So Gaia Project, it's a big, chunky, crunchy, beautiful game that improves upon Terra Mystica, which has been considered one of the better Euros of all time. And uh, now it plays well at all player counts. It doesn't play 5, which I know a lot of people are bummed about. But I don't really want to play it with 5 because it would take a million years. Um, Because at 4, it'll take you maybe 3 hours, maybe 4 hours. Like It can take you a long time, especially on your early plays. As you get familiar with it and as you're playing with a bunch of players who are familiar with the game, it's going to reduce... And you're you're gonna sort of really understand the mechanisms and figure out synergies in actions and and sort of paths you can take to benefit yourself the most so you'll you'll be a little bit snappier in your choices but it it's gonna take a long time to play the game so five players would be just ridiculous and uh, you know what I get the feeling that they'll probably add fifth player support anyway but um Now it plays well with two players, which, to me, is much more important. Because it's much more likely I'll be able to sit down with one other player and bang out a quicker game, now that this type of game actually plays well, that count, then I would gather a huge number of players and uh, have a more epic and uh, (laughs) time-consuming, being the keyword, game. And uh, finally, it plays at one. There's a there's a solo variant that has been created by the Automa factory, the same people who made the Automa for Scythe and for Viticulture. So they really know what they're doing. And from what I understand, from what I read of the rules, and from what I've seen, the solo mode is interesting and works smoothly and and looks to work very well so i haven't tried it but i I want to i'd really like to just sit down and and give it a shot and i i recommend that anyone who is into a if you were into terra mystica this i mean you already own the game obviously you you probably already have gaia project but um if you don't I, i would get it if you're looking for a game that captures so, okay, so I've always been looking for a space game that captures what I feel is more the essence of space. And that's exploration and discovery. Now, this doesn't really have discovery because you see everything that's out there, but it definitely has expansion and growing and, and you know, seeing yourself reach ever so slightly further and further out into space, and landing on new planets, new types of planets, and doing these like these Gaia, these Gaia-forming actions, changing things out there and making new planets habitable to your race. Um, so, this game gives you a real interesting feeling of of going out into space and uh, making it yours, uh, differently from differently from a lot of other games. You know most. Other bigger space type games, they're going to be focused a lot on combat, and not everyone just wants to fight all the time. I recently played Ti4, Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition. Uh, it took us eleven hours, and it was pretty awesome. But you know, it was just it was a big fight. Well, it was, it was almost it was a lot of big posturing, and then it was a lot of big fighting. And but that was like that was like the game. Like we were building up a little bit of tech, but it was all in the interest of making sure we were the strongest uh, militarily and everyone fought everyone. Uh, Same thing with like Eclipse. That's a game where fighting is important. A lot of these games are basically just fighting. So this is a game that really offers players a rewarding space exploration experience. Another one that I, I really recommend for that is uh, eminent domain I really like that game as well and I'll talk about that on a future episode but I think that's a really great space game too um, so as far as space games are concerned Gaia Project awesome um, as far as engine building euros go I think I've already said it amazing for interwoven mechanics amazing so I think I've I've uh, tipped my hand here but Gaia Project is an easy 5 out of 5. Easy 5 out of 5 from me on the GamerNode scale. That is a masterful game and a big cheesy smiley face out of 5 from me here at GamerNode, Gaia Project. Uh, MSRP, I think it's like $80. I don't know. I think it's uh, available online for sixty nine, seventy, no, something like that. Um, but it's a game that, like I said, if you if you were paying attention to all of the variability in this game, and all of the options that you have, and all of the strategies, the strategic variants, and the the modularity of it, then uh, you can probably surmise that this will be an evergreen sort of game, which stands to reason, because Terra Mystica has been out for a number of years and people still play it constantly. This is the next iteration of that, and the, the superior one. So Gaia Project, 100% get it. Uh, I haven't mentioned the designers' names, because I don't know them, and they're like not easy to remember. I think one, one is Ostertag is the, the last name that's about all i got They're, they made terra mystica they're good at this anyway gaia project go get it man that gaia project is a fantastic game um it still is even here in the future um which is only actually a couple days later um thanks for listening to the gamer node show again that was episode 80 from rails to star trails And uh, I appreciate you hanging in there with the road noise from my car, which uh, is not the most quiet cabin. But also, I listened to it, and I didn't think it was that bad. I think everyone could handle it. Next time, we'll be back to uh, about this quality of podcast recording. But until then, I'm Eddie Zotto. Thank you so much for listening to The Gamer Node Show. You have fun out there. We'll see you next time.